All right, as promised, we're going to um, continue with part two of the uh, series on the day of the Lord. So um, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, raising up the house of prayer in Atlanta. Now, God, I'm asking you would release urgency to our hearts. You would release revelation to our minds. God, that you would stir us in this time and bring us into clarity as it relates to your plan revolving around the, the end of the age, what you're doing in releasing uh, judgment events and releasing revival in the earth. God, we must be awake at this most crucial time. We must be alert. We do not want to be found sleeping. As we sang to you tonight, Lord, wake us up. Wake us up, God. Lord, I'm asking that you would release revelation. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, let it come. Let it come. And Lord, would you allow us to, to plow through in the spirit that there would be portals of revelation open as it relates to end time events, that seals would be, uh, the, the, the revelations that have been sealed up would be unsealed and they'd be open to us, that we would understand the, the mysteries that you want to unfold at this time. Now God, open to us, even tonight, revelation of the birth pangs. We would come to understand your plan in the earth in this hour. Okay, good. Everybody said amen. All right, um, I've got virtually all the scriptures we're going to use there in your notes, but if you want to follow along with your Bible as well, you can turn over with me to Matthew 24. I wanted to pass out an outline tonight because um, I wanted you to be able to take something away that you could study um, because I really feel like right now, our community, we need to begin to get a grip on uh, the events of the end of the age. We don't simply need to have some sort of a, you know, shallow, hey, something's coming kind of mentality. We need to be able to get a grip on these things. And so for some of you, it will be a refresher and a reminder. For some of you, it will be a, you know, the first time you've ever heard um, these kind of things taught. And then some of you, you'll just fall in between there. But we want to begin to proclaim these things and sound an alarm in the city. We want to begin to go ahead and proclaim into the atmosphere in our city the reality of the nearness of the return of the Lord and uh, clarity about what the scriptures declare is going to happen. I don't have to share my opinion. I don't have to try to tie together news headlines. I don't have to try to, uh, you know, twist things or, or manipulate the verses to, to make them, you know, seem applicable. It is all there, beloved. We can take the scripture, hold it above us, and allow the verses to declare to us what God is doing at the end of the age. And it is stunning. It will shock your heart into urgency. And so, um, while many have a... Have a uh, an eschatology, which all that means is study of the end, study of the, 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 the things that happen at the end. While many have an eschatology of revival, few have an understanding, at least in the Western church, of an eschatology that includes massive judgment events that the church will be a part of. So very few have a grid for that. And so the, the culmination of that reality is the final fulfillment of something the Bible calls the day of the Lord, which is the day in which Christ Jesus himself lands on the planet 
and actually initiates a global military campaign. And last week I read about 10 verses or so, I don't know how many, and just, just kind of wetted our whistle with the, the verses that you know, almost no one ever points to and just talked about you know, Isaiah 13 and Isaiah 34 and Isaiah 63. And, and I don't think I read Jeremiah 25, but it is, I mean, if you want to shock yourself, read Jeremiah 25 real slow. It is absolutely stunning, and it's in Isaiah 66, and it's in Joel 2, and it's, I mean, it's throughout the scriptures, Zephaniah 1 through 3, Nahum 1 through 3. I mean, you just, you just go through the Old Testament prophets, and they're all talking about something that's coming called the day of the Lord. And then 2 Thessalonians 2 gives us clarity that the day of the Lord is the day in which Christ returns. And so when we get the Old Testament prophecies uh, with the lens of New Testament revelations, we un- New Re- Testament revelation, we understand that the day of the Lord is a day in front of us and it's culminated with the man Christ Jesus actually treading the wine presses of God. And what that literally means is he initiates a military campaign on the planet, beloved. Jesus. A real man in a real body, the king of the, the ages, the king of the universe, the king of the nations, the king of kings, he will initiate a military campaign on the planet. And Isaiah 13 tells us that the results of that reality will be this, that a mortal will be found more rare than fine gold. Because when he comes, he comes with fire, and fire devours before him. Habakkuk 3, if you're, t- if you're writing down all those scriptures I'm just throwing out there. Habakkuk 3, oh, it's a powerful day of the Lord chapter. So what I wanted to do was um, bring us, just try to give us an introductory idea of what is coming because that idea that Jesus would be on the planet initiating a military campaign is new to most of our ears. And so what I want to do is try to take us slowly through what the verses say. And I want to start uh, tonight with what the Bible calls the beginning of birth pangs. And Jesus sets that up in Matthew 24. And for us to clearly understand uh, the day of the Lord, we must have a revelation of the context in which the day of the Lord uh, transpires. And the, the, the context that the day of the Lord transpires is uh, global, massive chaos. And the beginning of that is something called the beginning of birth pangs. Okay, good. So let's go ahead and begin to uh, move through this outline. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, teach more than preach tonight. And uh, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us, to instruct us as to these realities. So uh, basically what I said is all right there in A. And uh, it's my desire of this, that we would get more than simply uh, a timeline of events. I I really don't care to just simply uh, instruct us with a timeline so we can get that down. I I like timelines and and I want a timeline myself and and we work on timelines and we hand timelines out. But my goal isn't that you get a timeline and go, okay, I know where it all fits. My goal is this, that your heart would be so impacted by the truths and the prophetic scriptures that you could no longer live the same way that you've lived. That revelation would break forth in your heart from the verses that would cause you to live in Joel 2, live a Joel 2 lifestyle. See, Joel 2, he says, sound an alarm, the day of the Lord is at hand, and then he goes on to say, turn with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Why? In light of the reality that the day of the Lord is at hand. And so Joel 2's admonition to us is this. You can't live the same way you would ordinarily live when you understand that the day of the Lord is coming in your generation. 
Somebody says, well, how do you know? Well, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look in the scriptures and, and see how the Bible identifies that the end of the age events will transpire and see if it doesn't look very, very similar to our generation. Okay. Now, be there in the outline under introduction. Uh, prior to Matthew 24, I want to give you a little context. Jesus stands up in Matthew 23 and he rebukes the unbelief of the current religious system. And, and essentially what he's doing is in Matthew 23, he says, you guys keep all the externals and you strain to look religious before men, but you don't have the internal reality of a heart that's turned toward God, which is the cry of Joel chapter 2. Turn with your heart and not merely the externals. He goes, rend your heart and not simply your garments. He goes, let the heart be lined up with, a, with, with reality in God and not simply the external realities. And so Jesus is standing in Matthew 23 and he says, you do all the externals and you make it look just clean on the outside. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. So with that proclamation... He's leaving the temple now. He's walking away from the temple and he turns and he prophesies to his disciples and he says, there will not be one stone left standing on another stone in that temple. So they've heard Jesus, God in the flesh, rebuke the, the religious system and all the Pharisees of that age. They hear him with a scathing rebuke and then he turns and prophesies the dis- Jesus, God, turns and prophesies the destruction of the temple. And in their ears, that is a shockwave. And the reason why, and I'm going to say this and because it's in C, it was unthinkable for the disciples to think that the, that the temple could be destroyed again. It was the epicenter of Jewish culture. It would be like for us, us having one national religion, one national uh, system of politics, and all of that in one facility, because that's what was going on for them, it was the center of uh, their, their social reality. It was the center of their political reality. It was the center, center of their religious reality. And Jesus turns and says, that thing will be plowed asunder. Not one stone of the foundation will be left. So when they hear that, it is a shock to their ears. They can't believe what they're hearing. They're stunned. And so immediately they respond, how, when, How's this going to happen? But in their mind, they connect it this way. They think, well, if that's going to happen, if the temple is going to be destroyed again, it must be the end of the age. It must be the end of the world. It's got to be. So they said, when will be the sign of your coming? And when will be the end of the age? When will, be the, when will these things happen? And that's their response. And so what they're doing is they're tying together the idea of the destruction of the temple with the end of the age. Now, here's the deal. They had no concept that Jesus was prophesying of an event that was going to take place in 35 years. In 70 AD, General Titus, a Roman general, uh, uh, finalizes a siege. It was a a two-and-a-half-year siege on Jerusalem and destroys the temple, scatters Israel. Israel ceases to be a nation, and he literally has the, the foundations of the temple plowed asunder. He has all the stones plowed up. So Jesus' prophecy that the temple was going to uh, be destroyed was fulfilled 35 years later. But Jesus, in kindness, goes ahead and begins to answer their questions because they said, well, when's going to be the sign of the end of the age? And then he begins to give us all of these um, identifiers for the generation uh, that will be set up for the Lord's return. 
See, one of the things that he rebuked the Pharisees for, and you find it over in Luke 19, one of the things he rebuked the Pharisees for is that they didn't know the signs of the times. They, di- they couldn't discern what God was doing in their age at that moment. They couldn't see it. And so Jesus, in an answer to that, comes back and says, I want to give my church the understanding of what it will look like in the generation in which I return. When I come again, I want it to be clear to the believers what is going on. So he gives us Matthew 24. It's also Luke 21. And also, it's also Mark 13. They're essentially the same chapters. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. It's called the Olivet Discourse. He gives us the Olivet Discourse. Why is it called that? Because he's on the Mount of Olives. And he's speaking. He gives that to us so that believers living in the generation in which the Lord returns have a clear picture of what is going to be happening and they can understand the seasons and the times in which they live. The very thing that he rebuked the Pharisees for not understanding. So he's trying to be kind and he's giving us insight. Does that make sense? Anybody? Okay, good. Matthew 24, let's look at this. Verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? They're stunned, beloved. They're in shock. The temple's going to be destroyed again. How could it be? When is that going to happen, Jesus? And in their mind, they do the math and they go, it must be the end of the age. And so when will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? He asked three questions. When is is the temple going to be destroyed? When are you going to come? And what's the signs of the end of the age? And so Jesus answers them and says, and when he's answering them, He's answering them with the last question first. The signs of the end of the age. It's like if I asked you three questions, for clarity's sake, you'd answer the last one I asked you first. And that's exactly what he does. Jesus answered and says to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The New American Standard calls them birth pangs. The New International uh, Version calls them birth pains. Now, I want to propose to you this. That if Jesus is giving us trends... And there in the New King James Version, he gives us seven distinct trends. If he's giving us trends that will identify the end of the age, then they must be um, trends that we can uh, identify over a period of time. They wouldn't simply be just a little spike on the grid 
They would be something where the grid for that particular trend would go up and you would see it over a period of time for us to be able to be instructed by it. So if it was a two-year spike, who could know in a you know, thousand-year timeline if two years was really it? But if you saw something that changed and it was different for, say, 50 or 100 years, then you could be instructed. For instance, when he says wars, if we have one war happen to us, you know, and it's you know, 200 years to another war, well, in the middle of the war, the, might, the guy might go, see, it's a war. It's a sign of the end. But the truth is, the way that Jesus would be giving us an identifier is this, is this way. If there's a, an average amount of war and conflict, and then all of a sudden that thing goes up, and it spikes, and it stays spiked over a long period of time, then now we have an accurate identifier of one of these trends in place as it relates to the rest of human history. Does that make sense? And so for these to be trends that we could um, use to give us clarity about the season in which the Lord is going to return, about the beginning of birth pangs, for them to be trends in that manner, they must appear and stay uh, you know, on the grid, so to speak, stay at an escalated level over a long period of time for them to be able to be uh, identified by us as a trend of the end of the age. It can't be just a you know, momentary spike because who could, who could know it? If it's normal, normal, and it spikes for a minute, who knows if that's a long spike or a momentary spike? It's got to stay going for a while so we can say, okay, that's obviously a global trend that's happening that's different than the rest of uh, human existence. And that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to give us trends that we can identify, that those who are watchful and waiting can identify and understand for the season. uh, If they're living in that season, they can understand if that season is upon them. Okay, good. So here, D, beginning of birth pangs. There are at least seven worldwide trends that are prophetic indicators that are to be discerned in order to help the church know the impending shaking. At least seven. In E there, I identify that Mark 13 and Luke 21 are uh, the same Discourses, Matthew 24. You can also write there in your notes, Luke 17. I would include that. I would include Luke 17 with Luke 21. And the birth pangs are just that. They're the beginning of the events to see the kingdom of God birthed in the earth. He uses the term beginning of sorrows or beginning of birth pangs on purpose because he's trying to identify to us that there is a birthing of the kingdom. I want to tell you something. The end of the age and the, the, the scenario of, of the last days is not so much about the devil being a bad devil and coming and beating up on humanity. The end of the age scenario is about God who has a king who he's going to set on his holy hill in Zion and he is the initiator of all of the events to see the culmination of this. Jesus Christ, the man who is all God and all man ruling in the earth, birthing in fullness the kingdom of God on the planet. God is the initiator, not the devil. So everybody gets all spooky about the end time events and, oh, can't read the book of Revelation. It's too scary. Let me tell you who's in charge of the book of Revelation. God. God's in charge of it. Don't be scared by the book of Revelation. It's there. It's a manual for you to how to traverse the end of the age. That's what it's for. It's to give you hope. It's to give your, your heart boldness so you can have clarity so when these things are pelting the planet, 
That you can stand with confidence and know the verses and what the Bible declares is true. And you can stand in confidence of what God's doing at the end of the age. The idea that we wouldn't read the book of Revelation because we think it's too scary or too hard to understand. I tell you, it will leave us completely unprepared for that which is coming upon the planet. And I promise you, it is coming. For sure. Okay, F. So I say that I believe that we are in the beginning stages of the beginning of the uh, birth pangs. I believe we're in the beginning stages. That's what I say there in E. F, if this is true, then it would indicate that we're somewhere near the beginning of the generation in which the Lord returns. So I believe we're in the beginning stages of these beginning of birth pangs. And if that's true, then we're in the beginning phases of the generation in which the Lord returns. Let that set in on you for a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some uh, clarity on what these beginning of birth pangs, uh, how they apply to our generation. But if I'm right, and I'm not saying it's about me being right, but if, if, if that's true, we're in the beginning of that generation. Now, a biblical generations between 40 and 80 years. You can do the math there. It says uh, the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. That's nearly 1,000 years. So a biblical generation is roughly 70 years. Between 40 and 80 years, one time it's 40, one time it's 80. But, you know, just in an average, it's about 70 years. And so if that's the case, and we're in the beginning of that, we are not far at all from these events escalating at a serious level and from the Lord himself coming to the planet. Beloved, there's a method to our madness. There's a reason why we're spending our time in fasting and prayer. We believe this is real. We believe it's real. We're not going to hide in the mountain cavern. We're going to sit here in a city that's full of debauchery, crying out to God for mercy with hearts rent over the the injustices in our land, asking God to break in with power unto this, that God would release a pocket of mercy right here in the middle of this place when end time events are exploding upon the scene. And we believe this is real. That's why we're giving ourselves to this reality. We believe it's the wisest thing you can do in this time. All right, G. Just as natural birth pangs prepare the environment of a woman's body to birth a child, these birth pangs prepare the environment of the earth to usher in the return of Christ and to birth the kingdom of God. That's what the birth pangs are for. They set up the environment of the earth. They set up the earth to be ready to receive the kingdom. The woman's body undergoes massive changes when the birth pangs are moving, when the contractions are happening. The, the, you know, the womb has to open it before the baby can come. And that's exactly what's going on in the earth when the birth pangs are, are moving and, and changing things in the, in the uh, socioeconomic climate and the, the political climate in the earth. There will be massive political upheaval before this thing actually gets really rolling at the end of the age. It's all setting the climate for this, God's king to come. Okay, I say there in one that each birth pang is specifically designed by the Lord. It's designed by the Lord. And it will be released upon the planet to cause perfect natural and spiritual context for end time events. 
socioeconomically, politically, in every realm, uh, spiritually, in every realm you can imagine. God is setting it up. He's a perfect leader, and he's leading with perfection. So while the world will look like it's in chaos and tumult, God will be leading in perfection in order to establish his son in the earth as king, in order to prepare the earth for the return of the Lord Jesus. Here's what I say in two. I say this, that by the time the kingdom is birthed, righteousness and wickedness will stand in stark contrast in the earth. Lawlessness will be abounding, yet righteousness and the kingdom of God will be soaring, and the justice of God will be so evident amongst that mixture that will be uh, you know, happening in the earth. And so God knows how to lead, and he knows how to make the earth ready to prepare his son. All right, three. Just as a woman in labor, the birth pangs start off almost indiscernible. But within a short period of time, they are obvious and continuous. They increase in intensity while the intervals between them decrease. They're designed to create the proper environment for the child to be born. Uh, Each of my children, I have three sons, each of my children, I was there uh, with their birth. Uh, The only time I wasn't there when the... uh, when the labor happened was with the first one. My wife was actually teaching a, a, a class at school when she began to have uh, labor pains. And so the other, the other one, we were uh, sitting with a friend, and the other one, we were at a basketball game, actually. I always tell people, if you want to go have a baby, go, go to a basketball game. So that wooden thing, that's it's not good. It'll take you right into labor. You know, the ladies are trying to, trying to get that baby out. I won't come. Go sit on the bench at the basketball game. Walk him down those stairs a few times. But each time... When my wife was having labor pangs, uh, she goes, oh, you know, I, I think something's happening. I go, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean something's happening? Well, something, something's happening. I just, yeah, something's going on. I go, how long has this been happening? She goes, oh, about an hour or two. Hour or two? Every time. How could that be going on for an hour or two? Well, you know, you just don't know. You don't know if you got a little backache at first or what. It's just kind of slowly but surely. She goes, yeah, but it's... It's real now. <laughs> what do you mean it's real? <laughs> Let's go do something. Let's go go to the hospital. Let's go, I don't know, freak out. <laughs> you know, the first baby, you always run to the hospital. They're like, okay, you're fine. It's going to be sometime in the next two days. Next two days! <laughs> After a while, you learn, you, just, you wait till they're about, you know, just three or four minutes apart, and they're hitting pretty heavily, and then, then you go... We did it, our, our second child, we did it, and we, from 30 minutes from the time we walked in the door, we had a baby in our hands. We timed that thing perfect. Perfect. <sighs> 30 minute delay, and I've got a baby in my hands at home. So, you know, ah, we're close, let's just wait. I would have, that would have been, yeah, nice. So, my point is this. Birth pangs start off slow, but as they begin to increase, and all the ladies are going, you don't know about birth pangs, and the ladies that have had babies, I'm not pretending that I know what they're about, but I watched it, <laughs> so I'm helping all the guys. From the sidelines, here's what they look like. Slow, can't t- quite tell what they are to begin with. You don't know if it's the real deal or not. And then they begin to increase. And then they begin to get more intense. And then the, the pangs uh, you know, continue to heighten and heighten and heighten. 
And they, you know, they go from like 10 minutes apart to eight, to seven, to five. And then, you know, three. And they're hitting. And, and, and you know, I'm, I remember watching my wife. And there's a point when these labor pangs, they turn. And whereas before she could go, I'm, I'm having a labor pang. When they turn, she can't even talk. It's taking the breath. And I tell you, the birth pangs that are going to birth the kingdom of God are very similar. The first few almost indiscernible, ow, oh, that hurt, that, that was a problem, that was like a tsunami or that was like a tornado. Oh, we got to fix that for, you know, that, that area, that city, that place. Let's try to, you know, help. Let's bring a little uh, rescue situation. And then they hit so often and so frequently and so hard, they literally are taking people's breath. here's the deal. Four, there's a ratio. This is general. I, I don't want to stir anybody up and have you come in with your finger in my face afterwards. So if yours wasn't just like this, just this is general. I got it off the internet. They were probably wrong. Okay, for you. But the time after the water breaks to the time when active labor phase begins, the, 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 intense, the intense labor phase, it's approximately 12 hours. The, the ratio is about 12 hours of, of labor until the final phase, uh, which is one hour. So from the, from the time the water breaks to the time you get the, the real heavy things turn, you go 12 to 1 in general. Now, if Jesus was trying to be specific, he is God. He knew the numbers. If he's trying to be specific, then what he's trying to tell us is that the birth pangs compared to the heavy labor, if he's, if he's, if he's basing it on a seven-year uh, heavy labor, we get that number from Daniel 9. We understand that there's a seven-year final time period. If he's basing it on seven years, he's going, he goes 84 to 1 in terms of beginning of birth pangs to heavy later, labor. The years, the ratio of years would be 84 to 1. If he's basing it on three and a half, we're in the 40s. 42 years of beginning of birth pangs to heavy labor. So he's trying to tell us, he's giving us a big trend that's in global measure that we can see over time that can be discerned before the heavy labor comes. When you see the big day of the Lord verses, so many of them say, before the day of the Lord turn. Before the day of the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit. Before the day of the Lord's wrath, gather. And, and all you meek of the earth, Zephaniah 2, oh, he goes, all you meek of the earth, those of you who seek meekness, he goes, humble yourselves. I look at it, I go, you're talking to the guys that are meek. He goes, humble yourself. Perhaps the Lord will relent. He goes, before the day comes. Because when the day comes, there is no more chance. And so here's what I would say in H. Over the last 50 to 100 years, the events that Jesus describes at the beginning of birth pangs, they become very discernible in light of the rest of human history. And many of these events are actually wicked men acting out the wicked, and in, uh, wicked intents of their hearts. That's actually birth pang events. And I'll go and show you what those are in a minute. It's an activity of God's judgment. All right. Two. Let's, uh, Roman numeral two, let's skip down. Three prophetic time frames. When we compare Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians 5, we see three distinct time frames related to the final seven-year period of this age. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this. 
when they say peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pangs upon a uh, pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. And then Matthew twenty four twenty one it says this, for then there will be great tribulation. The great tribulation is the hard labor. The beginning of birth pangs, set it up, and then the labor turns, and we have the great tribulation. We'll talk about the great tribulation in, in another session. And the great tribulation, Jesus describes it as such tribulation has not been since the uh, beginning of, this wor- of the world until this time. Great tribulation such, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. He goes, it's going to be the worst time of tribulation the planet will ever see. How do we know that's a future time? Because he says it. He goes, it's going to be worse than there's ever been. And the prophetic verses identify what that looks like, and it looks really, really rough. Okay, flip over. We're on page four. We're actually doing good, because I'm only going to try to get to the end of page six. So here's what we have. We have the beginning of birth pangs. We have the first Thessalonians five, two, and three, a false period of peace and safety. And then we have the heavy labor. Those are the three different time frames. The beginning of birth pangs. There's a false uh, time of peace and safety. And then we have the heavy labor. And so let's just read it there in B. It kind of explains it really well. It gives you good language. The final seven-year period has two parts, each lasting approximately three and a half years. The final seven years begin when the Antichrist makes a covenant that will guarantee, quote-unquote, Israel political, economic, and spiritual prosperity, along with protection. This covenant will establish a counterfeit peace that will last approximately three and a half years. This counterfeit peace will seem to change the world for good. It will be dramatically interrupted by great tribulation, which Jesus described as a time of tribulation unparalleled in human history. The great tribulation culminates with the day of the Lord, the return of the Lord Jesus to the planet. So it's the beginning of birth pangs, We have this covenant that's signed, and for a little season, about three and a half years, everything looks like it's peaceful and safety. And then uh, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, sudden destruction will come. And that's the heavy labor. That's the last three and a half years of human history. It's the great tribulation. We we find that all 21 of the judgment events fall, uh, that are found in the book of Revelation, fall in that last three and a half year period of time. The beginning of birth pangs happen up into the seven years, but all 21 of the judgment events fall in that last three and a half year period of time. It's the most cataclysmic time the planet has ever seen. Okay, good. So I want to talk about what the, the beginning of birth pangs look like. The tremors starting. He gives us uh, three kind of events. Uh, the first are natural events or natural disasters. And in the natural disasters, he gives us famines, pestilences and earthquakes Uh, pestilences can also be known as plagues it's interesting because earthquakes is the greek word seismos s-e-i-s-m-o-s it's in your notes seismos seismos also means tempests or storm systems it can also be known as hurricanes so let's look at famines currently it's estimated that one billion people in the world today suffer from hunger and malnutrition. The hungersite.com, which you can go on there and see, 
It says there are 8.7 million deaths annually from hunger or hunger-related causes. If you extrapolate that over a 50-year period of time, that's 435 million over 50 years. That's what our current state of our planet is in right now. We are in a state where over the next uh, 50 years, uh, over 400 million people will die of famine. Now, we would think we are in the most advanced uh, wealthy time that the planet has ever seen. And that's exactly true. David Paulson, and the quote is in there in, 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 the, uh, in your notes. David Paulson, who is a, an English scholar, writer, he tells us that annually there's 13% more food produced on this planet uh, than is necessary to feed the entire planet. Yet, because of greed and man's inability to be merciful and kind and to give. We end up with over 8 million deaths from famine and malnutrition annually. Somebody said, well, if God is such a merciful God, why would he allow all those babies to be dying of starvation over there wherever they do? Well, the answer is that God is merciful, and that's why he allows, even in our sinful state of debauchery, with you know, the majority of the earth turned against him, he allows the earth to still, even under the curse of sin, produce more food than is necessary for the planet to, to live. Yet wicked men will not disperse the food in the proper uh, measure, and so we're killing ourselves because of greed and wickedness. Pestilences. That would include incurable diseases, such as AIDS. I don't want to, I'm really, I, I just took my time in these notes to focus on AIDS. Uh, there's all sorts of stuff you can read on the uh, bird flu. And then if you really want to freak yourself out, go and read what antibiotics are doing in terms of mutating, you know, the, the different, uh, what do you call those? How's it? Yeah, Bacteria. The antibiotics are creating bacteria that is stronger. They're like weightlifting bacteria. They're like stronger than we, the world has ever seen before. And we, can't, we, don't have the, we don't have the antibiotics to keep up with what we're creating in the way of sicknesses. But let's look at AIDS. It's approximately 35 million deaths uh, annually because of infectious and cardiovascular diseases, but let's consider AIDS. It says there's 40 million people right now worldwide infected with uh, HIV or AIDS. Approximately, there were 5 million new infections in 2003, but this thing is only like a 25-year phenomenon. The first time they, they diagnosed it was 81. In 25 years, over 20 million people have died from AIDS, and another 40 million are infected. This is uh, quoted from uh, the 2004 report on global AIDS epi epidemic. AIDS is unique in human history in its rapid spread, its extent and the death of its impact. Since the first AIDS case was diagnosed in 81, the world has struggled to come to grip with its extraordinary dimensions. Early efforts to mount an effective response were fragmented, piecemeal, and vastly under-resourced. Few communities recognized the dangers ahead, and even fewer were able to mount an effective response. Now, more than 20 years later, 20 million people are dead and 37.8 million, and there's the range that you'll find on the internet, worldwide are living with a, uh, HIV. Still, AIDS expands relentlessly, destroying people's lives and in many cases, seriously damaging the fabric of society. So, okay, I'm going to tell you something. I had a conversation with a very unique individual in the last couple weeks. 
And they, were, they are very, very knowledgeable about the AIDS epidemic and what goes on in a global theater as it relates to uh, AIDS and uh, people getting treated for AIDS and research funding that's uh, being raised for AIDS. This, this individual had more information than any, you or I want to know about. And, and because of the information they had, they had, they've had massive death threats on their life. And they begin to explain to us that there is, an, uh, there is a uh, cartel, an AIDS cartel that holds research funding back from researchers. The funds stay in banks, stay in bank accounts, because the cartel makes money on people dying of AIDS. And I, and I, I believe what this man told me was true, because he had too much information. And too many, he had too many death threats and lie, you know, the, the first hand, you know, they were threatening my daughter. Here's what, you know, human entrails showed up on my front porch. I mean, he had too much information. He said there is a global uh, cartel that keeps AIDS going by thwarting research. So men will make money on people dying because they can make money on the treatment, on the drugs they're prescribing more than if uh, AIDS got uh, healed. I like the uh, language from the global, global AIDS epidemic. AIDS is unique in human history. Beloved, there are so many other strange diseases going on right now, so many other plagues and pestilences unique to uh, human experience. All right, thirdly, earthquake. The uh, Greek word is seismos, like I, like I said a minute ago. It can also be translated tempest or storms. And so the um, seismologists would tell us, they would say, listen, Yes, we recognize there is a greater number of earthquakes happening in the earth today, but our instrumentation is far more advanced uh, than it ever has been. So that would help us to know why that there's been a greater number of earthquakes ever because we've got better instruments to to be able to track uh, seismic events. However, and I'm right there in the middle of three, recent studies show that there's a marked increase in hurricanes worldwide, especially uh, the highest, strongest powered earthquakes. And uh, in 1970, there was an average of 11 powerful storms worldwide, whereas in 1990, the numbers climbed to 18. The Georgia Institute of Technology reported that September 16, 2005. I uh, did some personal research online, and if you look at, uh, if you look at storm events, uh, hurricanes, over three and 400 years, you'll find that they only report, you know, uh, four and five a year, uh, three and 400 years ago, and that was just static, and it goes like this over the last, you know, bit of time. The hurricane thing is really, and we know it, because Florida just got hit so bad two years ago with multiple, multiple, multiple hurricanes, but it's not just a Western phenomenon. And that, is, that thing is uh, one of the clearest indicators. It's the, the number is so far off the chart as it relates to uh, human history. Okay, political events. B. Wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, or race wars. Consider this. In just this last century, both World War I and World War II, actually, they took place in one 100-year period of time. Beloved, that's unbelievable. 50 million in World War II alone were killed. That's, I mean, that's astounding. That's a six-year period of time. There's a, uh, a term they use for the last century. It's called a hemoclism. Hemoclism. 
It's called a bloodbath. That's what it means. The last century, by those that study these sort of things, they call it the great hemoclism, the great bloodbath, because of the numbers of people who were destroyed in wars. More, so far different than any other century ever in, in human existence. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, skirmishes and infighting, but the idea that there's been a global uh, increase and uh, the, the number for the last century is 150 million people. 150 million people. It's by far the bloodiest century ever in the, in the course of human existence. And then two... Nations against nations. This is specifically talking about ethnos. And I believe it's really talking about this term genocide, racial cleansing, cleansing and purging events. Interestingly, the word genocide wasn't even coined in the mid-1940s. Why? People didn't have to. They didn't have to have a word for that. But now we do. Genocide is a brand new idea this last century. 50 million killed in genocide and purging efforts this last century. And then spiritual events. False Christs and kingdom against kingdom. I do not have to go down the list of false religions and people who are imposters who have said that they are the new Messiah or the new uh, you know, Buddha or the new spiritual leader. Uh, I have a friend who um, had some employees and these employees were uh, uh, Hindu and they had been part of a, uh, uh, this, they're part of this religion that has a, a million followers worldwide. It's just something you and I wouldn't even know about. And, uh, and uh, this, the, this guy that's over this religion says he's God and, and uh, he's got universities and a million followers. That's a, that's a large following. And this, these people's first-hand testimony was this. They were there. This man was in a parade. There was thousands in this uh, press around this man. And they found themselves right up next to this man, who's this, uh, this sect of Hinduism, this leader. They found themselves right up next to his caravan. And uh, this is a first-hand story from a friend of mine. And he and, um these employees that worked for him, they said that they looked at this man and the man turned right to them, told them both of their names, and then told them that their parents had just died and their parents had just died and said, don't worry, they're with me now. We're not talking about, I mean, there's a guy right now, um, I think he's Puerto Rican, and he's saying that he's Jesus. We're not talking, I mean, he's got hundreds of thousands of, uh, you know, he says he's got thousands and thousands of followers worldwide. You know, he's dripping in gold and he says, I'm Jesus Christ, the man. But I'm telling you, what's coming is, is so more than what we've ever seen. There's going to be so many false Christs like this with false and lying signs and wonders. False words of knowledge, false power on manif- in manifestation. And, uh, and that's, that's happening right now in, in a massive way. And then kingdom against kingdom. The implication of this is, is that it's speaking about um, earthly kingdoms that are in conflict uh, as a result of differences in religion. And, and the greatest thing we'll see in kingdom against kingdom, uh, I think, in the next years is, uh, is radical Islam. Radical Islam against Christianity and against uh, Judaism. And much of what's going on in tumult and turmoil in the earth today is, is built around the issue of uh, uh, the darkness and light, kingdom against 
uh, kingdom. It's, it's affected in the spirit realm and manifests in the earth and it divides over religious lines. Isn't it amazing that World War II, the greatest, most significant, uh, most devastating war in the history of the, the planet had at its root system the issue of uh, anti-Semitism, a kingdom against kingdom reality. Okay. Other factors. Daniel 12.4 gives us two other factors. I wouldn't put these under the uh, heading of birth pangs, but I would think of these as uh, other features that you can look for. And Daniel uh, 12 verse 4 says this, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And, And the idea is at the time of the end, many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So he gives us two indicators. The increase of travel and the increase of knowledge or technology. I just think it's so interesting to me that in 6,000 years of human history, it's only been since the last 50 years that we actually have uh, public air travel, commercial air travel. We kind of sit here because we, you know, we just get the plane, take it online, get on the plane and just fly. But in 6,000 years, only until the last like 55 years, can you actually fly commercially. Many shall run to and fro. That's never been a, 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 a reality in the earth ever, beloved, until this last half century. And knowledge shall increase. The increase of knowledge in our days is so astounding. It's this, and I've talked to some people in the technology industries, and they know this. They have the, the next fourth and fifth and sixth generation of the thing sitting on the shelf waiting for marketing because we're only on the second generation of it. They've got the computer chip that's four and five generations down and they won't put it out there. Why? Because we don't even use number two yet. The, the, the amount that technology has exploded in our time. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know, some of you that are a little older, like I didn't grow up with the internet. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you imagine 15 years ago having even a picture of what the internet even was? I mean, we just went to the library and got the book. We actually used the encyclopedia. Actually used a dictionary. Like you actually had to have a dictionary. You know, I mean, personal computers. I remember my, you know, my, my buddy, being, I remember being 13 and my buddy got a, he got like an Apple IIe or something. And it was like the most amazing computer anybody had ever seen. It was like, I mean, we got to play Pong on it. That's just 20 years ago, guys. You know, it's just a little over 20 years ago. Now it's like, if you don't have your own laptop, it's like, you know, you're just out. And it's all on your phone now. I mean, do you guys get it? We are in a technology, I mean, it is just in a hype, it is in hyperdrive right now. Knowledge shall increase. And so, I, you know, when you look at these global trends, you, you don't, I don't even have to mess with it. They're all there. I, in fact, I would encourage you, take my notes, go online, Google it up, find the sources. You know what? You'll find it and it'll, it'll, it'll freak you out because I made it, I made it, uh, I made it uh, conservative. You'll find the stuff, you'll find the good sources. 
You'll find the realities that are actually alive in our day. And you'll look at the last hundred years and you'll see these trends all alive in this generation that haven't been in other generations. Somebody would say this. They'd say, well, you know, everybody has always thought their generation was a generation which the Lord would return. Now, that's a complete mis... That's a misnomer. That's not even true. There's always been fringe elements in different generations, but there's never been a generation where majorities of people believe that they're living in the time that's close to the end. There's always been a few on the fringes that considered, hey, maybe the Lord's going to return pretty soon. And those would be fringe groups. But never has there been in mass, you know, an understanding that, hey, it looks like the return of the Lord is near. And so, you know, the, the standard things that people sort of get in their mind, they go, you know, I don't know if that's real or not, or I can't understand it. I tell you, those, all those things need to be decomposed in your brain, beloved, because here's why. We are living in the time that Jesus identified as the beginning of birth pangs. It's just a minute till the next judgment event happens. And you know, you know what? It's just another minute till the next one. It's just another minute to the next one. In fact, we're in the West and we're insulated. You know, we have a picture of Katrina. We have a picture of 911. But we don't even understand about the tsunamis and the fires and all these things that are going on in the globe right now that there's a stir going on in the global community. We don't think about Darfur. We don't think about, you know, Rwanda and all these different things that are going on. Those are two different genocide situations with a million dead just in the last 10 years. This is reality, beloved. That's never happened. These things have never happened. What are Jesus' admonitions? He gives us three of them. I'm going to wrap this up. A, let no one deceive you. The first thing Jesus says out of the gate when he's answering their question, take heed that no one deceives you. Here's what he's doing. I'm on page six, Roman numeral four. Here's what he's doing. He's speaking directly to those who will be leaders of the church for them to instruct all the next generations of those who will be part of the church. And he's saying this, massive deception will come at the time of the end. Massive deception. He goes, don't allow yourself to be deceived. So he goes, well, you know, how do you do that? I mean, deception is challenging. It's, you know, you think you're right, but you're wrong. That is deception. How do you traffic that? 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, it tells us that it's those who love the truth. Those who love the truth. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it just, it just bears repeating. If we love being right more than we love the truth, we will be deceived. See, there's a difference between Loving being right and loving the truth. One who loves the truth will, at the expense of losing face, they will, uh, they will immediately move from their opinion to anchor themselves to the truth. They'll move 180 degrees if they love truth. When truth is revealed, they will cling to it. But those who love being right, they love their opinion, they'll hold their opinion even if truth is declaring to them that something is completely wrong with what they're saying or what they're thinking. And so many right now, they love being right more than they love the truth. They love comfort more than they love the pain of the truth. The truth isn't always comfy. It doesn't always make you feel, you know, wonderful. Jesus said this, that the, I mean, Paul said this, that the safeguard to being deceived at the end of the age, the safeguard is a love of the truth. Those who get deceived will do so because they did not love the truth. 
I tell you, that makes, that makes my heart tremble. I, just go, I, I look at myself and I go, do I love truth? Am I willing to move from my opinion to truth? Am I willing to be humble and pick truth regardless of what I think? The love of the truth will keep you out of deception. B, he goes, don't be troubled. Because these global trends are going to happen. Things are going to be blowing up. Nations at war. Kingdoms against kingdoms. Pestilences, plagues, earthquakes. Don't be troubled. You kind of go, that, that's, I mean, how does that work? How do you not be troubled? You know, you get a little bit of reading on the bird flu and how they think, you know, 50% could die and it could hit America and people start freaking out and, and, and their hearts become, you know, weighed down and worried. And Jesus' admonition is, don't be troubled. How is that possible, Jesus? How am I going to not be troubled when the whole world is, is running around freaked out about the events of the end of the age? Because you're confident knowing the love of God. You know he's a good leader. You know what he's like. You know he's in control. And regardless, if nation is rising against nation and plagues and pestilences are blowing up all over the place, you know Jesus, you know God is in control. Your heart is anchored, confident in love. See, the Bible describes that after the birth pangs hit, the love of many will grow cold. Their love will grow cold. Why? Because of the global events that are taking place. Lawlessness will be abounding in the earth. It will cause men's hearts to be offended. And that's why we ask the Lord. Lord, we want to be rooted and grounded in love so that we are unoffended in love in the day which you come. Unoffended. See, we're unoffended with the Lord so long as he doesn't touch our stuff. But once our stuff gets touched... Can we stay unoffended and unafraid, not troubled? And then see Jesus' admonition, prophetic word. All these things must come to pass. They must come to pass. What's he saying? These seven trends will explode upon the planet globally to set the context of the earth to be ready for my return. They must come to pass. It's not a maybe. I guarantee you pestilences and plagues are coming to pass on the earth. I guarantee you earthquakes and, and, and seismos, you know, tempests and, and hurricanes are going to come to pass in a greater measure in the earth. I guarantee you there will be more nation rising against nation. I guarantee you there will be more wars and rumors of wars. Listen, I don't even have to be a prophet. I can read the Bible to you. The, the peace will be taken from the earth at the time of the second seal. World War III is coming beloved it's coming biblically it's coming it's not a question these things must come to pass see that you are not troubled and so it's this we have to have clarity we have to have understanding worship team come on we have to have clarity we have to have understanding we have to live unoffended in love and given Given in intimacy, asking the Lord to root our hearts.
See, I pray that these realities don't just sound like fairy tale to us. I pray that the truth of the word begins to anchor in our hearts unto this, that we live differently in this life. Let's go ahead and let's just stand.